0: Hello and welcome to episode number three of the Drone Mentor podcast. Hi there, I'm Matt Williams, I am the Drone Mentor and welcome to episode three. Today we're going to be talking about how to choose the best drone in 2022 and this is one of the things that has come from really the questions that you've sent in over the last couple of weeks, particularly since the last episode, um, episode number two, where I asked you to send me in your questions. And I will tackle the most asked question each week in this episode when it goes live on a Wednesday of the Drone Mentor podcast. So lots of people get in touch saying, Matt, what is the best drone? And um, and actually, if I'm honest, it's a very, very difficult question to provide an answer to. So what I think I'm going to do is break it down into two separate routes. We're going to look at the hobbyist route. So What's the best drone if you're a hobbyist in 2022? And what's the best drone if you are looking to become a professional or looking to up step up to becoming a professional? Or you're looking to make money from your drone? Because those two things are two very, very different ways of looking at um, what equipment you should get and what's going to be the most cost effective for you what's going to be provide the best data for you or more importantly as we'll come on to for your client as we move forward So breaking them down then, looking at these one by one, um, I think we'll start off with the hobbyist side of things. Um, For me, when you're looking at which drone to get as a hobbyist, as someone who goes out and enjoys flying a drone, who wants to get into it, wants to see the world from the air, take photos, take videos, that's normally what we see when people want to do this kind of thing. The first thing I would consider is the location. So where are you in the world? Where do you want to go and fly around the world? Because bear in mind now, with a lot of the drones that we see out there on the market, you're not, you know, it's not like it used to be, where if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast, we had to have a transit van and a Toyota Hilux to, to move all of the equipment around just to get one camera in the air. You know, now we can put drones in our pocket and we can legitimately take them overseas with us, provided we can comply with the local regulations. And that's one, I think the biggest thing for me would be, what are the regulations in the place that I normally fly or in the places that I want to go and fly? Um, And I think it's fair to say now that most drones that we will be using, particularly to capture film and video, uh, sorry, video and stills, um, if that's what you want to do as a hobbyist, we can transport with us. You know, the batteries are such that they are under 100 watt hours um in terms of total power capacity um, that means you can transport them on an airliner with you um certain under certain guidelines um but yeah i think i think that really has opened up the world because again the the drones that we initially had even when they went down to the size that we could take them overseas with us um we were then very much bound by the regulations over in the country that we wanted to go and operate in and, obviously, uh, and generally, they were quite restrictive, those those guidelines, those regulations, um, mainly because of the weight and the size of the aircraft that we were having to fly to capture those, um, in our case, normally the video data that we wanted to get. You know, if we were flying things like an Inspire 1 or an Inspire 2 or, uh, you know, maybe an a DJI S900 back in the day or S1000 with a DSLR on, we were into the big drone territory and, um, you know, all of the rules and regulations, they didn't, as long as it was under 20 or 25 kilos, depending on what the country was, we would be out there and flying those. But even when you brought it down to things like phantoms and things like that, when, you know, we started to get into that kind of size of drone, taking those abroad and flying with those, you still generally fell into the same categories. And, um, the batteries for a lot of those larger drones in particular were meant that we couldn't just, jump on a plane and get there we had to either send the batteries separately or we had to get them in theatre as we called it we had to get them Buy them in the country that we were looking to operate in, and actually eventually leave them there. Which, as a hobbyist, wasn't viable. That was when we were doing it professionally, um, you know, and commercially, and and conducting commercial operations. So, as a hobbyist, look at the locations you want to fly at. Look at the regulations in those countries. For most of us, you know, here as I am at the moment in the UK, um, you know, if you wanted to go and fly in Europe under the EASA guidelines, if you want to go and fly in. Um, the United States and places like Canada, it comes very much down to weight. And with aircraft like the at the time of shooting this podcast, things like the DJI Mini 3 being available to us now that are less than 250 grams, all of a sudden that opens up a whole wealth of opportunities, a whole bunch of different things that we can do now with those drones that you couldn't do even if you had a slightly larger drone like a a Mavic 3. You know, the top of the range kind of DJI prosumer products um, because of the weight of them. You know, you're into different sets of regulations in lots of different countries around the world. So I think ultimately, and, and again, dependent on what you want to do, but I think for most of us in the hobbyist side of the, the world of drones, um, we'll be wanting to capture video or stills from the air of the places we're travelling to, of the things we're going to see, of the things that we're doing in those places, potentially. And because of that, for me, I would suggest that right now, as I shoot this, there's very little that's going to beat something like a DJI Mini 3. You know, for lots of different reasons, but primarily the price, the the price point of that drone. Yes, not the cheapest drone out there on the market, and certainly not as cheap as things like the Mini and the Mini 2 were when they came out, but capability-wise, just absolutely unbeatable pound for pound you know the 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 kind of bang for your buck to coin a phrase i guess on that is so so strong um that i think it's very difficult to beat so for me it would be if i was a hobbyist capturing those things in the uk as we are now or anywhere in the world it would be the dji mini 3 Um, check the regulations before I go. And and I would say that is at the moment, the best drone you're going to get for that kind of um, money and capability. Then the other thing to do in the hobbyist world is to look at what you want to do, because obviously there are certain things that you might want to do in different places, which would then lead you down a slightly different path. You know, the, the DJI Mini 3, for example, wouldn't be any good really as a hobbyist if FPV is your thing, if it's first-person view flying that you want to get into, then, you know, you're going to be looking at a totally different line of aircraft, a totally different type of equipment. Um, again, you know, it's hard to deny that, the if you particularly if you want to get into that, the DJI FPV solution is a great one for the hobbyist side of things. That being said, you are very much into a weight category with that aircraft where, um two things you're bound by regulations in lots of countries that might prohibit what you can do and where you can do it and also that weight means that if you have a crash with the DJI FPV drone you're in for a lot of money um you know the the, the aircraft will generally from what i've seen and having had a go um fortunately not crashed one yet touchwood um you're in a place where the the drone is going to be heavily damaged or probably written off, if I'm honest, um, if if you, if you are flying that. So it's certainly something to consider. Um, if I was going down the FPV route, I'd go down the self-build FPV, probably as a hobbyist, because then you're into the proper hobby, right? You're into the nitty gritty of it. You're into the hobby, not just being the thing that you do, which is going out and flying an FPV and capturing some cool footage um, from that perspective and in that style, but you're also into the Making the drones and learning about the flight controllers and learning about, you know, PIDs and all this different thing. It's a very deep rabbit hole that you can go down. And I suppose, I guess, looping back around to that, then in the hobbyist side of things, I come back again to what do you want to do? You know, um, if that. Float your boat if that tickles your pickle um, if that's the kind of thing you want to get into the you know nuts and bolts of literally building your own aircraft and modding your own aircraft and stripping down GoPro cameras so that you can take them down to you know the bare essentials of what you need to actually get that GoPro capture in video but lose the weight you know we see people with the cine whoops and tiny tiny FPV drones now that they fly around indoors and you know it's definitely up and coming that then moves into the pro side of things i think But if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. If you want to get into FPV and you are not bothered at all about building your aircraft or getting into that side of things, you know, you've got the cash potentially to be able to throw at the problem if you have a crash, Uh, very much like we used to have to do with model helicopters. Um, You couldn't get into that world back in the day unless, well, you couldn't get into that world full stop unless you had the money to unfortunately repair the aeroplane or write it off and build a new one. If you crashed that helicopter, it was one of those things. So, you know, if, if that's not part of fpv that floats your boat and you just want to get out and fly then again the dji fpv might be the one for you or alternatively there are lots of um, fpv build services now out there where you can find fairly reputable um retailers and and building uh, companies that will build you an fpv drone to spec that they might produce or that you ask for um, and they can build a number of bodies for you um, so that if you do have an accident You can then get the other one out of the bag and and carry on flying, you know, um, or at least have the spare parts to be able to repair it in the field, send it back if you need to, get them to do the fixes and do all the electronics and do all the calibration and setup for you. Um, get it set up the way that it works out of the box effectively and crack on I mean personally for me um, I'm really interested in the FPV side I did a lot back in the day where we had to build our own aircraft Um, I did quite a bit when um, it was Immersion RC bought out a an aircraft called the Vortex um, a 250 size from what I can remember 250 size quad FPV drone and it was incredible but again for me that was a step forwards because I could buy that and some of the spare parts like arms and propellers and stuff and just go go out and fly i didn't have to build the aircraft i think for me personally my days of building drones of building model planes for now have gone for me it's more about flying the aircraft so i think yeah if i uh, and i want to get back into fpv now in a fairly serious way and and you'll see that on the channel um over the next year or so hopefully if um, if we can make that work and get the time to do it and for me the route in will be the dji fpv drone um, because i don't want to mess around with the um with the aircraft and building and tinkering and things like that i want to get out and shoot footage but again i suppose that then spans me across from the hobbyist side into the um into the commercial side which you know i think is a fairly natural progression it's where most people seem to want to go when they get into the drone world Um, but it's not for everybody Right. So it might be, like I say, that you step back and you're into the Cinewhoops or you're into this tiny FPV drones that cost, you know, 50, 60, 70 pounds that you can buy on places like Amazon. And that's enough for you. You know, you buy the goggles, get that, um, get the drone um, with the tiny one cell batteries and you can fly those around indoors potentially and uh, and get your kick from that. That is the beauty, I think, of doing this hobby as a hobbyist is that there is a plethora of different options And something to float everyone's boat, I would suggest. Um, And ultimately then it comes down to budget, right? So what's your budget? You know, if it is that you've only got... £100 pounds or £200 pounds to spend and you want to do FPV, then you are into getting one of the, the tiny quad drones that you can get on Amazon with a little tiny FPV camera. Yeah, it's not going to work well in low light. You know, you're not going to be able to capture footage that you'd sell on the internet. But you know what? That doesn't matter for a lot of people. You know, you, you get your goggles, you get your controller, you get you charge your battery with a little USB cable and you get flying. And that's enough. That's more than enough for a lot of people. And if that's What you're happy with and able to achieve with the budget that you have, that's what you're able to achieve. You know, is it that you want to go down the route and we call everything seems to be called drone nowadays. But what if you want to get into flying model helicopters? What if you want to get into flying model planes? If that's what you want to do and you've got the budget to do it, then that's where you'll be. So the best drone will be the one that allows you to do what makes you happy and falls within your budget and allows you to operate in the places you want to operate for me at the moment as a hobbyist i would say it's very difficult as i said to beat that dji mini um, mini pro 3 um, and the dji fpv solution um, and i'm not necessarily a dji fanboy you know professionally we we definitely don't use the dji kit anymore um, we use other manufacturers but i think it's very difficult to beat that if that's what you want to do and you just want to get up and running um, so yeah three things to think about. Location versus the regulations, what you want to do and what your budget is and those three things I think as a hobbyist are what will direct you down the line of what is the best drone for you okay and and that really is what this is all about particularly as a hobbyist it's about what makes you happy and what you want to go out at the weekend and spend your time doing or after work and spend your time doing for you to relax and enjoy yourself. Now we're going to look at what is what's the best drone for you in 2022 if you are a professional or you want to become a professional or you want to make money from flying a drone okay and this is where we are into a place where it is a totally totally different ball game and I've done a lots of teaching on this over the years anyone who's followed me and my teachings and um, and the things that I have put out there in the public when I've done the public speaking circuit about this if you want to make money from the drone industry you don't go out and buy a drone. Okay. Um, what you want to do is you start with your customer. So you start with who is my ideal customer. And again, this is really frustrating for a lot of people, right? And I get that because everyone's, like, Oh, I want to, I want to get into the drone industry. I'm going to go out and buy a drone. I'm going to get the most expensive drone that I can afford. And that's going to be amazing. Cause that will be the best one. No, 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 stop. I, I get it that this isn't what you want to hear, but if you do that, This is one of the big reasons why people fail to make money in the drone industry. This is one of the big reasons people fail to start a business in the drone industry because you're thinking about yourself, all right? You're buying a drone because you want to buy a drone. You're buying a drone because you want to buy a drone and you think then, okay, cool, I'm going to make money with this drone. That isn't the way it works in a business, okay? You need to start with the customer. And more importantly, you need to start with the customer end with the drone because you need to work out what data your customer, your ideal customer needs. Okay. Because for example, the uh, well, (laughs) I'll go for an example. I'm going to take a step back from that actually. The reason behind that is because the data that the customer requires, the data that your ideal client needs from you will determine what sensor you need to get in the air. And the sense that you need to get in the air will determine which drone you need to buy. So coming on to examples of this um, and I'll I'll relate it, I guess, to two different types of work that we used to do within the, the drone industry at the very high end of the drone industry. So. We had a number of different clients and and we were in a position where we were making a lot of money at this eventually, right? So we could go after different clients that needed different data sets. That meant we could have a large fleet of drones and hopefully you will get to that. But you won't get there unless you listen to the advice from people such as myself who've been there and done it and have lost a lot of money, wasted a lot of money and bought the wrong drones. Okay, because we bought the drone that everyone else was buying. So two different types of customer. Okay. We had a customer, or lots of customers, who were high-end film production companies, okay, producing Hollywood movies. We had customers who were survey clients, so um, clients that needed topographical surveys, they needed 3D models, they needed very accurate um, meshes and point clouds, they were called, so that they could do um, volumetric calculations, okay. The drone the the sensors that we would need to fly for those two different scenarios were very very different therefore the drone that we needed to buy to get that sensor airborne was very very different okay so if we look at the high end movie clients okay to call them that they would want us to fly a red camera with a very expensive piece of glass on the front of it so a very expensive lens Very expensive lens control system. They would need to see the footage in real time, absolute real time as well with, you know, a frame or maximum two frames of latency. So a delay between what they what the camera was filming and what they could see on the ground. Very often they would need lens control as well. That was often why we needed the low latency, by the way, so that they could actually have. And we did this on lots of occasions, have someone controlling um, focus, iris and zoom fizz, as we used to call it. Um, on the lens so they would be physically focusing on the subject that they wanted to capture to make sure that that subject was always sharp um, they would want to control the iris so that they would control the, the size of the aperture effectively to make sure that the, um, the shot was, wasn't was too hot or too cold. So it wasn't too, um, <coughs> excuse me, it wasn't too overexposed or underexposed. And then they would control the zoom as well to be able to kind of help frame the subject that they were shooting. So to get that package in the air, um, you know, it was a very heavy package, um, very heavy camera and lens package, um, a very expensive camera lens package um, and often flying it in situations where there was a lot of risk so there were lots of people around lots of people who were potentially worth a lot of money um, you know flying with movie stars and things like that in close proximity to the drone to close proximity to the aircraft so we also needed to make sure there was lots of redundancy so we needed a drone that could lift a lot of weight A drone that had redundant systems built into it and a drone that ultimately we could take off and land from a fixed platform or a moving platform, but in a very small footprint. So that then forces you, because of the data we needed to capture with the package that the client required, that then put us into a place right? okay, this is the data they need. So we're into a multi-rotor drone. And we're into a large multi-rotor drone with eight motors, with redundant power systems, with a parachute built in as well, with two um, transmission systems. So that if one of the control systems failed, we could contact and control the drone with the other and bring it back to land safely so that we could operate safely in the environments they were asking us to. You know, so then we'd be into something like an Alta Eight from free, free Fly Systems. That was the platform that we used to go to. Certain productions would require even more redundancy, even greater redundancy. So we used a platform called from Intuitive Aerial called the Aragon, which had twelve blades. Um, wasn't actually as nice to fly, if I'm honest, as the uh, as the Free Fly Systems aircraft were. Um, quite kind of primitive in terms of control systems, but that was what some productions determined or dictated that we used so that was what we used okay and again i'll bring it back to my first point which was start with the data that your ideal client requires from you then it's about what sensor do we need to get in the air or what sensor package in that case do we need to get in the air Um, and then what do we need to use to get that in the air and get it in the air safely Conversely, I'll go over to the collecting data for surveying. So uh, for us, one client in particular, for example, was um, a gold mining company with gold mine assets all over the world. So we need something that could capture the data that they required and ultimately the data that they needed was this kind of 3D point cloud and then a mesh that could be made from that that they could then do volumetric calculations from and they could monitor their assets through so changing um, you know the change in asset over time and a number of these clients we went back to their sites all over the world for a number of different on a number of different occasions over a year or two depending on what the site was so that they could track the changes so that they could see what was going on so that they could monitor the dam and tailing dams and things like that that they had to make sure everything was still safe and that needed to be done regularly well we wouldn't go out with the aragon or the free fly Alter eight with that with a red camera on and a lens package and things because it just wouldn't make sense we wouldn't be able to capture the data that we needed for that client to give them the deliverable at the end of the job you know those the the data that we were needed to capture or the data that the client needed meant the sensor we needed to get airborne was a high resolution still camera that could capture hundreds or thousands of photographs and uh, over a very large area, you know, and a, and a, a drone such as the Aragon or the Alta, we could fly those for six minutes or so, 10 minutes in some cases, maybe 15 if we had a light camera on. But you at the time of us operating them anyway, you couldn't necessarily operate those autonomously you can now with certain versions of the Alta 8 Freefly have bought out a version that allows you to do some mapping with it, which is great. Um, you know, and again, if that's what you need and that's the solution at the time, the solution right now for you, then that's brilliant. That's what you'd go and get. But for us, we needed to capture areas that were sometimes meant the drone was seven kilometers away from the takeoff point. You know, these mines were huge. Um, And to be able to do that, we needed an aircraft that could cover a very large area um, very quickly, very efficiently and could fly for a very long time with a small, but very um, sophisticated still camera package. And for us, that drone was the SenseFly EB. Um, And, you know, that at the time was the best solution for doing that job because it meant that we could fly a camera over a huge, huge area. and capture it very efficiently you know you could fly those drones for an hour at a time so you would launch the aircraft it's a fixed wing drone for those who aren't aware with a small propeller on the back um a small foam wing effectively um that when we bought it cost about 45 grand forty-five thousand pounds So what's that about 60 to 70 thousand dollars by the time you bought the aircraft and the batteries and all the kind of support equipment for it Um, and we would send that off we would you know shake it it comes alive so you do all the planning on a computer you upload that i'll just take a step back do all the planning on a computer upload that into the brain of the aircraft Um, you know you'd have a, a a field laptop a weatherproof laptop ruggedized laptop that we took out on site with us to make sure everything was okay you connect the laptop to the drone shake the drone a couple of times, the motor would start, it'd do its checks, a light would go green, you'd throw it in the air, and you'd see that drone an hour later, you know. Um, Obviously, again, depending on the rules and regulations of the country you're in, depending on the visual line of sight or beyond visual line of sight, as we had authorization to do in lots of the places we flew that, um, but that was, without a doubt, the best drone for the job. We couldn't take that forty-five grand drone, as good as it was at doing one job, we couldn't then take that onto a movie set and fly that on a professional film production. Because, again, it, it doesn't provide the data that the client, that the end user needs from us. So this is why it's such a difficult um, question to answer, I think, particularly when you're into the, the professional side of things, because it all comes down to starting at the end. OK, and this again, this is what I all. Uh, have always and will always teach people who want to build a drone business start at the end okay so work out who your ideal client is who could you get in with who you know who might you have some contacts with what side of the industry might you have contacts with you know it might be in the uh, renewable energy space so it might be that you're doing solar panel inspections because you know people who need that doing they have a problem which is how do they check all their panels are working efficiently. You could come to them with a solution. You know, you can get your licenses to, to fly the drone, the certification to fly the drones in the area they need you to. You can buy the drone that gets a thermal camera airborne that delivers them a solution that solves a problem for them. OK, it might be that you have an in with someone who needs a state agency footage taking of large houses all over the country that you live in. You know, in that case, the drones that you buy are going to be very different because the data that your client wants is ultimately very different. So that's, I think for me, the process you need to go through in determining which one is the best drone for you. If you want to become a professional or you want to make money in the drone industry. It's the data from the client that you can get it in with or that you can sell to or that you want to work with. For the next three five ten years if you build this business and become successful and then what drone allows you to get that sensor package in the air to deliver that data to your customer secondary to that um i think are the rules and regulations because once you get into the commercial space and there's money involved um, and you start to work with clients all of a sudden Potentially, the rules and regulations that might apply to someone operating in that country that you're looking to operate in might not apply to you in quite the same way as someone who's just a hobbyist. Okay, there are often ways of working with a controlling authority, with a regulator um, to get around these things. And I'll give you a couple of examples of this. So um, one example was when I flew for America's Cup TV in Bermuda and we filmed the America's Cup back in 2017. Um, At the time, the Bermuda CAA didn't have a mechanism in their regulatory framework that allowed people to fly drones of the size and the weight that we wanted and needed to fly for the the clients to get their package in the air to capture the data that they needed. The Bermuda CAA didn't have a way um, and a set of regulations that allowed us to do that. You know, the maximum size drone you could fly over there was 20 kilos. Or the maximum weight, I should say, was 20 kilograms. And for us to fly our 25, 27 kilo drones was just impossible. So we worked with the regulator because we were working with the um, America's Cup TV company who ultimately, you know, were bringing so much money into the into the island for the, the whole duration of the America's Cup that all of a sudden... We were able to provide the regulator with a framework that actually I think they've since adopted and and people are now allowed to fly drones of those sizes over there because we did the work for them and alongside them that said, right, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to reduce the risk. This is how we think we should be able to fly it safely over a crowd of people. Um, which is ultimately what we were allowed to do. and We had parachutes and backup control systems and all sorts of mitigations in place. Um, but that was what we were allowed to do. And, and that's what we achieved because we were able to work with the regulator and make it happen. Um, another example, going back to the gold mines, you know, flying seven kilometres away from the launch point, the drone very much beyond the visual line of sight. One of the countries we did this in, I think off the top of my head, I'm going to go down the line of one of them, which was Peru. We went to Peru, we did a bunch of gold mines um, in Peru, because we were working for this gold mine and they were one of the um, most highly regarded employers in the area of the country we were operating, shall we say. um, All of a sudden, that meant that when we contacted the regulator and said, look, we've been asked to do this on behalf of this person or this client, this company, um, we were aware that it's not not possible, the capability doesn't exist within your framework, within your regulations is there any way we can do it? And initially they said, no, probably not. And we went back to them and said, okay, cool. Is there any way we can work with you to do this? The client is willing to pay for the time to, to get this done um, and, you know, our time and your time. Um, and then you'll be left with a framework that allows you to offer this as a capability to people in the future, if you wish to. Um, and eventually they said, actually, yeah, do you know what? We would be open to doing that. So we actually helped them create their regulations for beyond visual line of sight at the time for in, in specific circumstances and specific areas um, with certain drones, and they allowed us to do it. So actually, the rules and regulations all of a sudden, as a professional operator, as a commercial operator, if you're doing it properly and you're serious about it, become much less of a concern. There are lots of things that you can do if you are selling yourself as professional and able to convince someone that you're able to do something safely. Um, And actually, and again, it all comes down to sales, which I do teach if you follow my teaching and I'll bring this potentially to the podcast, but definitely to the Drone Mentor channel, definitely to the Drone Mentor Academy when we get that live. Um, So go again, go and sign up at thedronementor.com to the newsletter and I'll let you know when that does go live because we teach you how to sell yourself, how to sell your business, how to sell your capability to the point that regulators listened to us and allowed us to help them create their regulations and frameworks. It's a, it's a game changer, but that's, I think, less of a consideration in terms of the drone that you need to get. It's, um, <clears throat> it's more about getting that data and, and the drone fitting into that. And then for me, I think, and it is a consideration, but it's the budget. Um, you know what budget do you have to allow you to buy a drone and it is a consideration if you do want to make money with your drone but I would suggest that it becomes less of a consideration because it ultimately you're going to have a very good idea of the amount of money you can make um, based on the type of client you want the data that they are asking you to capture and the sensor you need to fly you know at some point <clears throat> excuse me real frog in my throat today which isn't good for a podcast but there we go I apologize. Um, Ultimately, you know, the budget shouldn't stop you from being able to deliver because if you get in those high end clients, if you want to go into the specialist, into those niche or niche areas within the industry, you need to appreciate that you are going to have to spend more money. And the reason I say it's a low consideration is because there are a number of ways around the fact that to get into the more specialist areas, it's going to cost you more. Um, Just quickly it's a little bit outside the scope of of this podcast in particular but i think quickly there are options you know you can hire that specialist equipment if you need to you can rent or lease that equipment if you need to and that is very much the route i would suggest you go down i would never suggest nowadays that you would buy your drone equipment if you are looking at getting particularly into the high end of this now lease it or rent it Okay. Keep the capital and use that on marketing, use that on training, use that to get yourself out in front of people and to make yourself better and to get yourself trained up so that you can serve these people better or you can serve the audience that you want to more efficiently and effectively and get in front of them. Um, Don't have that money tied up in equipment that is ultimately getting used heavily, abused potentially a little bit um, and is depreciating very quickly it's not a way to build a solid business. certainly in the future you might be able to do that but right now and if you're starting off and if you're looking to step up to this in particular um, it, it isn't a way to go. Um, so yeah the the budget I think is a lower consideration. if you can't afford the budget, maybe do other work in the meantime that allows you to step up to that in the future. Or try and find a mechanism that allows you to afford that. One of the things we used to do, by the way, um, again, just hopefully a little top tip for you, is that we would build it into the contract. You know, if we needed to do the gold mines, for example, we didn't own a fleet of EBs before we got the gold mining contracts in. Um, You know, we developed that capability, sure. Um, And actually by renting and borrowing demo units from um, other companies at first, we practiced and, and learned how to do it. And actually by, in a lot of cases, using the, um, as it was, Sensefly data sets to be able to say, look, this is what we can capture. Um, And then when we got the clients in, part of the contract was that they would give us X amount up front, which would then allow us to buy the aircraft. We could go out and fly. And then when we delivered them the um, when we delivered the data sets to the clients, they would pay us the remaining money. And that will be our profit effectively. Um, We always tried to make sure that our costs and our equipment, um, initial capital outlay was covered by the initial payment within a contract. So something else to think about if um, if, you you can't work out a way to do it, but uh, to afford it in the first instance. But what I would say is, and I see this so often and the number of people who do this against my advice and hopefully other companies advice. But I know there are some out there that don't do it this way. I see so many people who go out and buy a DJI Matrice M300 or an M210 with a thermal camera and they borrow, you know, or, or spend thirty or £40,000 on these aircraft because they've been convinced to buy it by a company that are ultimately a sales company, right, that are trying to get you to spend their mo- your money with them. They buy these aircraft. You know, we've had people in the past when we were a free-fly dealer, we were one of the first, well, we were the first free-fly dealer in the UK, um, and one of only a handful of them um, in the time we were doing retail um, over at our, one of our other companies and we had a couple of people who came and bought free flight Alta 8s from us a huge drone and they'd never flown a drone before and they bought the drone from us we gave them some flight training as part of the package because I always thought it'd be remiss of us to send them away without knowing how to fly it and fly it safely but along the way it was like look I really don't think you should be buying this this really isn't for you Um, You know, you you need to start off small and and only get these if you've got a client and a a product that's a solution for someone who needs it. And the number of people that we've seen do that um, from lots of other companies around the country in the UK in particular, because that's where we're based at the moment, who've bought these aircraft. And then just go bankrupt or, you know, they they lose the company and and they're desperately trying to sell the aircraft a year later because they haven't managed to bring the work in. They haven't managed to generate any cash from it. And that's because you've done it the wrong way around. And, um, you know, you need to start with the clients that you can serve, the data that they need, and then allow that to really bring you to a decision as to what drone you need. So there we go, guys. I hope that was useful. you know quite a a long-winded way of telling you potentially what the best drone is but ultimately hopefully it gets you to the point of the best drone isn't the one that you think or I think is the best drone it's the best drone for you as a hobbyist depending on the location and the regulations in those locations that you want to fly in it's the you know it's what you want to do what brings you pleasure if you're a hobbyist and ultimately then what the budget is If you're a professional, as I've said, start at the end. Start with the data that your ideal client wants. Um, Then it's the sensor you need to get in the air to to capture that data. And it's the drone that you need to fly to get that sensor package in the air safely and efficiently. So there we are. Hopefully that was useful. Please, if you have found this useful, um, sh- share it with other people. Share it on forums, share it on Facebook, wherever you want. The more people who listen to this, the, the stronger we can make our impact on the world as a community and uh, and the more people we can help, which is what this is all about. Please keep your questions coming in as well. Um, hello at mentor.com Go and sign up to the newsletter over at thedronementor.com so I can keep you up to date with everything that comes out and uh, yeah I look forward to catching you in the next episode but until then I've been Matt Williams fly safe and blue skies